Lord, you've heard our hearts this morning as we've lifted them up in song to you. Accept that as our praise and our worship and our prayer. Bless us each one, Father, as our hearts continue to be open to what you have for us this day. Thankful for that which we've already received, for the a devotion this morning before breakfast and the ways in which you prepare our hearts even by just passages from your word that just open our hearts up and, and plow it and work that soil. And we just pray that you would continue to have your way in each one of our lives. Ask your blessing upon myself as well as the other speakers this day that we would just have your hand upon us, your mantle over us, that we could be just instruments for your glory and for your praise. Father, we just desire to exalt you. We think often of the words of the psalmist that said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. And we just pray that that can be real in each one of our lives as we open your word together. May we magnify you. See how great you are and how awesome you are. What an awesome God. You deserve all of our worship and our, our praise. You deserve our lives. We just offer it to you just now and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can, you can be seated. Thank you for blessing me with your songs this morning and your worship. Just really looking forward to magnifying the Lord together. I remember the words of the Apostle Paul as he wrote to the Philippians. He said, But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I think of that a lot. Because we have needs. We are needy people. God will supply our need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So as we're gathered together here this morning and as we begin a series of messages on the Holy Spirit, I'd like us to think for a moment about what some of our needs really are, especially as it relates to the study of the Holy Spirit. I've listed them down here. I, I'm somewhat of a organized person. I like to have lists. I work off a list. And so uh, here's my list for you this morning as I thought about what our needs are and how God is going to supply those. We are in expectation of Him as we're together. But I think that one of the needs that I have, and I trust that you do as well, is a clearer understanding of the person of the Holy Spirit. And as, as, we, as I share this message with you, and I think probably as the other speakers do as well, it's, it's hard to just eliminate the, fact, the, the possibility, the likelihood, that we're going to be sharing a lot of facts with you. Again, I, in order to study something, I've got to get all the facts together. I think we do that in our occupations, don't we? Don't we? we gather the facts, we have that before us, and then we know what we can do with that, work with that. So a clear understanding of the person of the Holy Spirit is one of the needs that I believe all of us have. A fresh appreciation of the Holy Spirit's ministry. And... With each of these, I think we're going to go beyond the facts to the point where what does it mean to me? What is it, what's going to happen in my life? What can I expect out of the Holy Spirit? Number three, a heightened sensitivity to His presence in our lives. We know that He's here. We've read the scriptures together. We know that He indwells us. We're going to have some repetition I'm sure with these messages, and it's going to hopefully drive home this point that his presence is within us. But I need a heightened sensitivity to that presence within me. I trust you do too. Number four, a growing desire to please him and not grieve him. A growing desire. And just because, as we're going to explore a little bit further, he is a person, he can be grieved. And as a person, he can be pleased as well. So how can we do that? Number five, a greater dependence that will transform our lives. 
We want to be transformed. And he has the power to do that. That is one of his ministries, I believe. I was uh, blessed last evening with what Grant shared with us. And those two words are still ringing in my ears this morning. In my heart, that of a disciple and that of a hypocrite. And I just want to expand that. I think Grant was very thorough in his presentation last night. But I, as I think about the subject that's before me this morning and that I'm expected to share with you, and that is of the Holy Spirit as being a teacher and a guide, I, I think that one of the things we need to understand is that we are disciples. Matter of fact, when you look in the Bible and you look in the book of Acts, you look, go through the New Testament scriptures and you try to understand what is the label that was best used to describe the people that were followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were called Christians, we know that. We use that term as we interact with other people. Are you a Christian? Yes, I am. Or no, I'm not. But the, the greater and more widely used term in the New Testament is that of disciple. So what is a disciple? A disciple is a learner, one who is going to be taught by a master, a teacher. And so as we think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit as teacher and guide, we certainly want to emphasize that feature of that, that we are disciples. And the way... What we want to do, as Grant well explained last evening, is to cross over from just saying things and just saying I am a disciple or just saying I am a Christian, cross from that over to living it out, making it real in our lives, having our lives transformed by the Holy Spirit. That's what we're after as we want to learn. Now, I've given this message uh, in the series of talks that I'm expected to give. I've given it a subtitle. And what it is is this. I'm going to call it the glorious ministry of the Holy Spirit. We will learn that he has a lot of ministries. But we're just lumping it together in one and saying the glorious ministry of the Holy Spirit. I get that out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you'd like to turn there for a moment, I want to read just a couple verses from there because I want to really emphasize this feature of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and that it is a glorious ministry. Praise God. It is glorious. And Paul, I believe that the, the pen was just jumping off the page as he was writing this third chapter of 2 Corinthians because he was reflecting upon the ministry of of under the law, how the law was given by Moses. And that ministry was a glorious ministry. It was associated with tremendous things that were happening. Lightnings and thunders and smoke coming off Mount Sinai, and the voice of God, and on and on and on. The list goes of the things that were associated with the ministration of the law. And Paul is saying here, this ministry of the Holy Spirit is so much more glorious than that. Let's just read a few words here. I'd like to just go through this chapter, but I, I won't take the time. It's not uh, part of my uh, agenda this morning. But let's just break in here at, in verse 7 of the third chapter of 2 Corinthians. He says, If the ministration of death, that's the giving of the law, written and engraven in stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. Now, if that was glorious, and it was, amen. He says this, verse 8, how, much, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? How much more glorious is the ministration, the service, the, the whole work and power of the Holy Spirit it just far supersedes that. And words cannot even uh, expand that to the degree that it ought to be expanded. Paul goes on with some more uh, 
words here and keeps using that word glory and glorious to emphasize that feature. I want to just take that. I, I'm going to have to keep cautioning myself and I, hopefully this will carry on into your lives as well. Is the importance of somehow taking the information that we have and translating that into real life. Making it change our lives or allowing it to change our lives. I think I'll illustrate it this way. What would you think about a, a group of people that had something happen to them that was so glorious, so inspiring, so awesome to observe that it required a new word to be invented to describe that. Isn't that amazing? The other day I had my iPad out and I was trying to look up a word. I don't even remember what the word was now that I was trying to look up, but I, I just typed it in. And, and what it did is it brought up an app that I could use. I could, it was a free app for my iPad. And uh, what it was was just a dictionary. But the interesting thing about it is, it, you know, it's not just a simple dictionary. That would have satisfied me just fine to have just a dictionary where I could look up a word, see the meaning, the pronunciation, all that. Well, uh, along with that came word of the day. So every day now with that free app, well, I get a new word that comes. And, and, okay, I can't even work with the words that I've got. And I don't think I need any more in my vocabulary. <laughs> especially ones that I can't pronounce and probably wouldn't be used in everyday language. But as I thought about that, I thought, you know what? That is exactly what happened in the case of the early church. They had to invent a new word to describe those people. They said they were in theos. They were full of God. Now this is in a culture that worshipped hundreds of gods, if not thousands of gods. But something about these people that were filled with the Spirit, they were in theos, full of God, enthused. That's how we get our word enthuse, enthuse or enthusiasm, was from what took place back in the days of the early church. Now imagine, translate that into 2015. That same Spirit is here today. He is no less powerful today than He was back in Acts chapter 2 at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He was there then in power and that power is not diminished one bit. With that in mind, let us allow this series of messages to enthuse us. Yes, we can be enthusiastic. Now I realize that our personalities vary and we may, some of us may be more expressive outwardly than others, but nevertheless, it is that same Spirit that works all in all. That same Spirit does a lot of things that we're going to find out about. Okay. So today, this message is about the Holy Spirit as teacher and guide. I'm going to have to still share a little bit more, lay a little bit more groundwork, a little bit more foundation, at least this is the way my mind works, before I even go into the area of the Holy Spirit being teacher and guide. That's this. First of all, when we meet somebody that we've not met before, there's about three things that we want to know about them. First of all, what's your name? What is your name? We want to know that. That's important. We've got to put a label on you in order that we can call you by that name as we go on and interact in the future. Second thing I want to know about you and you want to know about me is where do you live? Remember, you, you gave your names, you told what your name was, and you told what district you're from or what area, whether you live in Pennsylvania or Ellensburg or wherever. Where do you live? The third thing, we didn't really go into that, but you, each one of you could do this. It would be a blessing. What do you do? What do you do? We want to know this, these things about the Holy Spirit too. And as we explore these things, yes, they are facts. But hopefully they will be facts that, can, that we can appropriate into our lives and have, us have a greater understanding of Him 
and even more than that, relationship. That is what we are after, is relationship with God, the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit? Well, we've already heard in the short time that we've been here that he is not an it. He is a personality. He is a personality. He has intellect. All the, all the attributes of personality, such as intellect, emotions, and will. Again, I believe that these things are going to be expanded on as we study this further. He possesses the attributes of personality. Secondly, he performs the actions of personality. The same thing that, that you and I do as personalities, he does. He teaches, he witnesses, he guides, he convinces, he speaks, and he intercedes. And the list goes on and on. These are just a few things that we think about as we think about the actions of personality. He performs those. He also receives the description of personality in this way. He can be obeyed. As fathers or grandfathers, we can be either obeyed or disobeyed. So can the Holy Spirit as a personality. He can be lied to. He can be resisted. He can be grieved. He can be quenched. And he can be insulted. Looking forward to more on that. Well, those are some of the things that we learn about him. So, who is the Holy Spirit? What are his names? I find it even interesting because, uh, especially back in early Bible times, names were given as descriptive of character. Somebody was named a certain thing because of something that may have occurred at the time of their birth or or uh, whatever. The Holy Spirit has many names. I didn't count how many is on this list here, but I'm going to just name them off real quickly. Again, they're just facts. But what are we going to do with these facts? They are facts that I believe as we learn to know what His names are and know what they mean, then we can live those out, we can apply those, we can rely upon Him as He guides our lives. Of course we know he's already he is called the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Ghost, Spirit of Christ, Spirit of Adoption, Spirit of Counsel and Might. And I realize you may be trying to write these down and I'm going to have to go too fast to pause and wait for you. We might be able to have something for you later if you want but just to get an overview, just let these names just sink into your minds as we, as we read them off. Spirit of your Father. Spirit of glory and of God. Spirit of holiness. Spirit of life. Spirit of the Lord God. Spirit of God. Spirit of His Son. Spirit of the Lord. Spirit of wisdom and understanding. Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Spirit of grace and supplications. Spirit of judgment. Spirit of burning. And power of the highest. That's just a few. There may be more. With all this, we come to some conclusions, even in just the, the brief exploration that we've given of his names and of his personality. We understand clearly. We know this. I'm not telling you anything new when I tell you that the Holy Spirit is God. One of the things that I think ought to be emphasized though, especially as I go on into this a little bit further, is that the Holy Spirit is not God with a handicap. The Holy Spirit is not God with limitations. The reason I'm saying that is because we think about God as, as having some form as especially we read in the Old Testament scriptures about God appeared to so-and-so. It doesn't describe what he looked like, but God did appear to Moses, and God did appear to Abraham. Also, of course, we know that Jesus Christ himself is God incarnate. That's God in the flesh. He came and dwelt among us. We can put a body on that. We know that. But we know clearly, absolutely, without any any uh, misunderstanding that the Holy Spirit does not, does not have a body of his own. We're going to make a point out of that a little bit further. 
The Holy Spirit is God. He was in the beginning with God. As we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, where it says, The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. He was there in the beginning. We also read in John's Gospel that Jesus Christ was there in the beginning with God. When he says, In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So what we get with putting all this together is Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all together back in the beginning when the worlds were created, when the universe was created. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit has the attributes of God, and this is important when we apply this into the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit especially. He has the attributes of omniscience. He knows everything. He is God. He is not God diminished or limited in any way. The Holy Spirit has omnipresence. He can be everywhere at the same time. And this highlights the very feature that Jesus uh, gave when he said that it's better for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come. Indeed, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He can be everywhere at the same time. The Holy Spirit is also omnipotent. He is all-powerful. There are no limitations to His power. He is eternal, and the Holy Spirit has foreknowledge. question is, where does He live? Remember we said there's three things we need to know about somebody. We need to know what's your name, and uh, where do you live? And the third thing is, what does he do? What do you do? What do you do for a living? Well, where does the Holy Spirit live? This opens up the uh, understanding and the, the uh, recognition of God's plan for mankind from the very beginning. And what was it? Why did God create Adam and Eve there in the garden? What was that for? We all understand that God created man that man might have fellowship with God. Matter of fact, as we even turn to the book of Revelation and we read how things are going to wind up and how God's going to bring his plan to a final uh, culmination, one of the things that we read there that is a tremendous blessing to realize is that the Bible says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. That's what God wants. That's what God wanted from the very beginning. He created those in His likeness and image that He might have fellowship with them and that God might dwell among them. And He says there in Revelation, and He will be, he will be their God and they will be His people, saith the Lord. So where does He live? We can explore that a little bit and of course understand that He uh, dwelt with man the Holy Spirit was there God dwelt with man there in the Garden of Eden and so the Holy Spirit was there of course God's sovereign plan is to dwell with man God dwelled among his called out people as he called a people out of out of Egypt as he called Abraham out of Ur the Chaldees the called out people God called out so that he could dwell with them and have a relationship with them regardless of where it was. So where did God dwell in the Spirit? He dwelt among his people. And then the tabernacle was built in the wilderness. He, he, his presence was going to fill that tabernacle. And then the temple came later. And then you all know what happened with that temple there was a child that was actually named uh, a name that really described the, the departing of the glory of God from the nation of Israel, Ichabod. The glory is departed. And so the glory departed, I believe it's described in uh, quite some length there in Ezekiel. And so... Where does God dwell? Where was God going to dwell? Where's the habitation of God through the Spirit? Where is His dwelling place? Well, again, that just brings us back to that word that we uh, used earlier, 
in Theos. Filled with God. Filled with the Holy Spirit. So, going on, moving on to the next area that I want to talk about. And this brings us more down to uh, my subject this morning. Is, what does the Holy Spirit do? What does He do? He's all-powerful. He's God. He desires a place to dwell. So getting back to our needs, let's stop and think about this for a moment. As we, created in God's likeness and in His image, and yet with a nature that we inherited from Adam, we need a teacher and guide, don't we? We're traveling through a wilderness. We are actually pilgrims and strangers in a foreign land. This isn't our permanent home. So we need a teacher and a guide to guide us. So let us go now to uh, John's Gospel. We'll read a few passages of Scripture from time to time from the 14th, 15th, and 16th chapters of St. John. As we go a little bit further with this message and try to develop the uh, ministries, the glorious ministry of the Spirit as teacher and guide. I appreciated uh, Nathan sharing that 12th verse of uh, John 14 this morning. Uh, that's really where I was going to begin in this as well. So let's read that 12th verse again. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. One of the things that I get from that, as well as appreciating Nathan's thoughts this morning, is that he's giving us a clue about the giving of the Holy Spirit. Think about this for a moment. If Jesus is going to go away to the Father, and He's saying that when He goes away, His followers are going to do greater works, then something must happen. Something must change. Something must be different than what it was while Jesus was here on planet Earth. And so He says down in verse 16, And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Another Comforter that will abide with us forever. So, as we need a teacher and a guide, stop and think for a moment about what would be the requirements, what would be the things that you would like to have in a teacher and guide to guide you through life. Well, one of those things that would be important as a teacher and guide would be one that is near. Not somebody that's a thousand miles away or 500 miles away or even 25 miles away. We would need as a teacher and guide somebody that is near. And that is one of the thoughts that is contained within that word comforter. The Greek word is parakletos. We get our word parallel from that. And all you need to do is just stop and think for a moment about what it looks like when you have parallel lines. If you draw two parallel lines on your note paper, you've got something, one line that is very near, close by another. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is that as well. Very effectively given as a comforter. Okay. Comforter, one who is near. More than that, one who is always near. Now, it's one thing to have a teacher or a guide that is near sometime and then not near at other times, goes off and does something else. But what happens if you have a comforter that is always near? That is one of the great blessings that we have with the ministry, the glorious ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is always near. He is omnipresent and He is eternal. He is here for not just one person's lifetime. 
He is here for all of our lifetimes. Everyone, all of God's people, ever since the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, of course, He existed before that. He was always there, as we said back in the beginning. One thing that is helpful to understand as we think about the glorious ministry of the Holy Spirit is that prior to Pentecost, He was the same Spirit, but He was not indwelling permanently. He was alongside in many cases, but it appears like from the Old Testament reading of Scripture related to the Holy Spirit, He would come and go, come upon people. The Spirit would come upon somebody for this or that ministry. Then He might leave. But with the outpouring of the Spirit on Pentecost, every believer from that point on can and should be indwelt permanently by the Holy Spirit throughout eternity, for a lifetime. So one who is always near, one who is omniscient, one who knows everything. Remember, we're talking about his ministry as teacher and guide. What do you want out of a teacher? You want a teacher that knows something. You want a teacher that you don't want to ask a teacher. I did some training here a few weeks ago. And uh, there were questions that came up in the class that were addressed to the teacher about uh, generators and about uh, uh, some repairs on them. And it's one thing to have a teacher that, that uh, realizes that there's some things they don't know and they admit it. This teacher was not that way, unfortunately. There were things that he didn't know but he would not flat come out and admit it or sometimes he would even give wrong answers. Now, he knew a lot more than I did about certain things, but I knew that there was a few things that he was saying that were not right. When we think about the Holy Spirit being a teacher and guide, we want one who is omniscient, who knows everything, and not only that, Jesus says that he is truth. He will guide you into all truth, and that's what he is called. Even here in verse 17, it says, even the spirit of truth. Even the spirit of truth. He is absolutely truth. That's one of his names. Think about that. It's capitalized in my Bible. Spirit of truth. In verse 16, I think it's important for us in this study of the Holy Spirit and of Jesus breaking the news to his disciples that he's not always going to be around, but something better is going to happen than if he stayed around. He says, I will pray the Father. He's going to pray. And when we think about the ministry, the glorious ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's a blessing to think about the fact that Jesus himself was involved in the giving of him. When he says, I will pray, he's going to pray the Father. And he that's the Father, shall give you another comforter, one like Jesus, only having some characteristics and attributes that Jesus didn't have, which I'll explain in a moment, hopefully, that He may abide with you forever. Okay, so Jesus was limited by time and space. I think that's part of the humiliation or the self-humbling of Christ was the fact that he would, could only be in one place at a time. And so when there is another comforter, and we think about this other comforter as being a gift of the Holy Spirit, we're blessed with the fact that he will abide with us forever. I think it's good for us to reflect often upon him as being a gift. The emphasis is placed on that in Scripture. We ought to uh, consider it that way as well. Jesus says again in verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. There again is that feature of the Holy Spirit's ministry prior to Pentecost being with them after Pentecost in you, shall be in you. The great Emphasis of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
What a blessing. Let's look at verse 26 of this 14th chapter of St. John now as we move a little further into this ministry of teaching. Verse 26 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So there is our first scripture. If I, uh, as I studied the scriptures, the first one that, that emphasizes his teaching ministry. So let's look at that a little bit more. Let's look at that verse together. Again, he is a comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. The comforter being the, the advocate is one of the uh, ways in which parakletos is translated. Not only is he one that comes alongside of, but also one who represents another, who stands up for somebody else, who is, who is on their side. And in this case, he is not only on their side, but in their side, inside us. A little play on words there, but I think it helps us get the point. So he shall teach you all things and shall bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, I see in that last part of that verse a, a, a twofold application. As I understand it, when John wrote this gospel, I believe it was about 50 years after Jesus had left. How long can you remember something? How long can you remember somebody's words? 50 years? The ministry, the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit in this teaching, as it is given here in this verse, was to help them to remember the words of Jesus, in many cases, word for word, of what he spoke while he was here. And that's how we have the Holy Scriptures. That's how we have the Gospels. Is by the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit in bringing all things to the remembrance of the disciples, the apostles, uh, as they were inspired and moved at the proper time to write them and make those Gospels. Let's think about his teaching ministry then a little bit further. The teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, it's really going to be better. Better than Jesus' earthly presence. Even as Jesus uh, had his disciples, his followers, for three or three and a half years, and he was trying to teach them, still he was limited to one place at a time. He was limited by a physical body, even limited to the extent that I believe Jesus actually got tired, got to the point where it was time to shut things down for the day. The Holy Spirit's ministry goes on day and night, 24-7, 365. The Holy Spirit's teaching ministry is better than Jesus' earthly presence if He were here today. The Holy Spirit's teaching ministry is permanent and eternal. His teaching ministry, again, is not limited by time or space. Again, you've probably been in classes and experienced settings of, of having one teacher and 30 students in a class, and you've got a question, and you raise your hand, and that teacher's got five other people that he or she needs to talk to and answer their questions before he can get to you. Think about the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit not being limited by time or space. Can you imagine believers all over the world today being able to approach the Holy Spirit and use His teaching ministry all at the same time? That's God. That's how big our God is. What an awesome God we have that the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, omnipotent, all-powerful, and all-knowing, omniscient, we have a teacher that can teach everybody everywhere at the same time with 
questions, issues, things that we face in life, decisions. I mean, isn't this where the rubber meets the road? When we need to be taught something, it's because there is something that needs to happen in my life that I don't feel fully equipped to do on my own without some further instruction. The Holy Spirit is that person to do that work. And he is one of absolute truth. He never makes a mistake. He will not mislead. He won't teach one person one thing and then teach somebody else contradictory to that. He never contradicts himself, nor does he ever contradict God's word. So getting this right down to where we live today, uh, Holy Spirit as teacher, again, this gets back to what we heard last night about discipleship. Dis uh, teaching implies discipleship. And discipleship implies teaching. A disciple, as I said earlier, is a learner. One who is learning, one who is taught by another. We already gave you the primary application of the uh, teaching ministry. First of all, to bring all things to the remembrance of Jesus' followers. But secondly, he does that even today. Now stop and think about it. Remember a, a class that you were in and something that a teacher taught you, maybe tried to use all kinds of tools to help you memorize it. Uh, but when class was over and two or three weeks were gone, uh, passed, and, and you needed to remember that thing that you were taught in class, your teacher's not there anymore. Your teacher cannot bring anything to your remembrance. All they can do is aid you in learning, but cannot bring things to your remembrance. Do we understand the difference? That is a tremendously powerful, blessed ministry of the Holy Spirit to even be able to bring things to our remembrance that he has already taught us earlier. Now, where does that come from? It comes from the Word of God, of course. That's the importance of reading God's Word. This morning I woke up a couple times and, and a, a scripture came to my mind and a new application of that just as I was laying there in bed. Uh, maybe God did that just to give me this illustration so that I can share with you. But that is, that's what happens when we take the Word of God into our lives. When it is, is something that we read every day and, and try to memorize the Holy Spirit can bring that to our remembrance even in our waking hours or times when we're laying there in bed or wherever, out on the job, it doesn't matter. And He can take that. Not only can He take that Scripture, put it into our minds, but He can also make new application of it. Oh, okay, I see how this fits in an aspect of my life that I hadn't thought of before. Great blessing of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in teaching. He teaches by illuminating the scriptures which he previously inspired. Remember, we, know, we understand from God's word that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It was God-breathed. The Holy Spirit was the agent in breathing that. The Bible tells us that the prophecies... That think about the Old Testament scriptures. The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit came upon them and caused them to speak or to write the things that he wanted them to, to speak or to write. The point is that same spirit that first put those scriptures into the hearts and minds and pens of the prophets is that same spirit that can translate that, that can bring to our minds and can illuminate that today. Illumination. He brings light on that. Let's turn to a couple of scriptures that just uh, point out that feature of illumination. Um, Psalms 119, 105. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So what do we have here? We have 
the Word of God, and the psalmist says that it is a lamp and it, and it is a light. So, how did that Word become a lamp and a light? It was by the Holy Spirit inspiring the Word to be written to begin with, and now it can be used by that same Holy Spirit to illuminate our path and light lamp our feet and light unto my path. To take that Word of God and make the application that causes us to know how to walk. Illumination. Psalm 119, verse 130. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. Again, it is the inspired Word of God that gives light, that gives understanding unto the simple. Holy Spirit as teacher. Uh, let's turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians 2 verse 13 talks about the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. I think we'll begin reading maybe in verse 10. Actually, we ought to begin in verse 9. First Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. That's that indwelling Spirit that we have. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teach, teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. There's a lot that could be said from that, and a lot could be gleaned, but I'm going to I pass that by to get this point that there are things which the Holy Ghost teacheth and the way it does that is comparing spiritual things with spiritual. I want to give you an example of that. Of comparing spiritual things with spiritual. There is an account that is given uh, I think probably ought to turn to it just to get it right here. Uh, Luke chapter 11 verse 20. Jesus was teaching something here that at first may not appear to be related to the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 15, um, Jesus was casting out devils and there were those that said he cast out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And uh, there was these accusations that were made, and Jesus responded to that. And I think it's interesting to notice his response. He said, uh, Jesus, verse 17, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because ye say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. And if I by Beelzebub do cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. Verse 20. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. You notice that little phrase, the finger of God? What, what do you get out of that? What could he be talking about? The finger of God, using the finger of God to cast out devils. Certainly the finger of God would be an indication of his power. 
We know the scripture talks about uh, when I behold the stars, the moon and the heavens which thou hast ordained, and the, the, the work of thy fingers. What is man that thou art mindful of him? The finger of God, indicative of the power of God. But stop and think about it for a moment. There is another passage of scripture, a parallel one to that, that Matthew records, Matthew 12, 28. We're comparing spiritual things with spiritual for a moment. We're taking the Word of God as it appears in a couple different places and we're getting a lesson, a spiritual lesson that the Holy Ghost can teach us even about Himself. Matthew 12, 28 is Matthew's account of this same incident. And he says in verse 28, but if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God. Did you notice that? Same Jesus speaking. And the two different writers wrote it down both ways. He probably used both expressions. But by putting them together, we are comparing spiritual things with spiritual. We're looking at the finger of God and saying, so what is that? Well, Matthew's account tells us the finger of God is none other than the Holy Spirit of God. And that was the power that Jesus used to cast out devils. I just use that as one example of comparing spiritual things with spiritual. We need to take the entire scriptures and compare them. And that's the way the Holy Spirit can teach us. He can teach us something that is illustrated in the Old Testament. And then we find it in the New. And we can put the two together and we can see a, a lesson here. It, it all starts to come together. We get the bigger picture. We take these pieces of the puzzle and start putting them together by the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is able to do that. How does the Holy Spirit teach? You know, there is a this ministry of the teaching of the Holy Spirit may be one of the most neglected ministries that, that He has. And if it's neglected, it's our fault. Because Jesus told us, He clearly taught us that, that God will give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him. Now, He must be talking about something else other than just somebody, some unbeliever walking out on the street somewhere and saying, I want the Holy Spirit. God, give me the Holy Spirit. God doesn't do it that way. God is certain conditions under which He gives the Holy Spirit. But we as disciples, as believers, as born-again Christians, have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. So possibly one of the things that Jesus is teaching here is that how much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to you in an answer, in a teaching ministry to those that ask Him? Jesus taught repeatedly, Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. This is where I believe we fall short in our uh, apprehending the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit is to simply ask. Even such simple things as getting right down to where we live every day, we read a passage of Scripture, we're doing our daily Bible reading, and there's a passage that is difficult. I don't understand that. And pray to God, that he will explain it. Now it may not just come all of a sudden an immediate answer come to us in that. Nevertheless, God will answer. God will respond. He loves to teach his children. We are his children. Let's uh, utilize that teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 143 verse 10 says, Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. Um, we need to move on to the Holy Spirit as guide. John 16 verse 13 says, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will shew you things to come. This is the emphasis on, again, the spirit of truth. What do we need when we have a guide? We need a guide that, that knows the truth, a guide that knows the trails, a guide that, guide that knows where the pitfalls are, a guide that knows where to go, where not to go. We need a guide that will guide us into all truth. The Holy Spirit, very quickly, 
guides us by, I'm going to give you a list of things here. First of all, he gives, he guides us by giving his commandments. Again, the Holy Spirit was the one that superintended the writing of God's word. He is the one that can take those commandments and uh, guide us by them. Maybe a real quick scripture to turn to just uh, to emphasize this is in Acts chapter 2. So we think about the Holy Spirit uh, guiding by giving commandments. Acts chapter 2. Excuse me, Acts chapter 1, verse 2. Luke begins his introduction to the book of Acts and says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. So there it is. Through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles. Very clearly spelled out there that the Holy Ghost guides by giving commandments. The Spirit, uh, Paul writes to Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, and he says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter days some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. It is the Holy Spirit that spoke expressly through the Scriptures, inspiring Paul to write that. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives directions for spreading the gospel. As we read back in the uh, book of Acts, uh, chapter 8, uh, verse 29, I believe, I won't turn to it, but it, as we start reading about, uh, I believe that was Philip in that instance, that said, uh, go near and join thyself unto that chariot. That was a chariot that the Ethiopian eunuch was riding. The Holy Spirit guides by giving directions for spreading the gospel. He guides by even that still small voice that you might hear in your heart as God speaks to you through the Spirit and says, go speak to this person. There's a reason why he or she is standing off by themselves. Or there's a reason why they are looking so downcast. Or there's a reason why you fill in the blank. The Holy Spirit guides by giving directions for spreading the gospel or for encouraging um, the Holy Spirit spoke uh, as we read back in the book of Acts chapter 13 verse 2 when he said, and it clearly states this, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. That was the, the Holy Spirit speaking, assigning a certain work for Barnabas and Saul to do. The Holy Spirit also guides by forbidding to go into certain areas. I believe in, as you read back in Acts chapter uh, 16, verses 6 and 7, um, there was a couple of places, I don't remember exactly where they were, but I believe they were forbidden to go into Asia at that time by the Holy Ghost. They were forbidden by the Holy Ghost. In other words, doors were closed. The Holy Spirit guides by closing doors as well as by opening doors. He guides by placing leadership in the church as we would understand reading through many scriptures and putting them all together. In summary, the Spirit guides through speaking through the scriptures as we read them. This Holy Spirit guides by bringing outward circumstances to our attention, things that we become aware of and places the thoughts in our hearts, brings those to our attention. The Holy Spirit can guide by bringing an inner thought, an inner feeling, I should do this, I think I ought to do that, that type of thing. Um, the Holy Spirit can guide us by a gentle nudging or even a lack of peace until we act upon his gentle nudging. And, you know, the Holy Spirit, I believe, has a ministry of chastening because if we don't act as he directs us, that gentle nudging can be a little bit more uh, less gentle, we'll say. A little bit more of a, of a uncomfortable feeling. And then if that chastening, that, that uh, directing of the Spirit isn't effective, He will do more yet. And on it goes. Certainly, I think I'm talking to people that, that 
have felt this and experienced this in your lives, and we just trust that having a greater awareness of the way the Holy Spirit can work this way will uh, bring out more of that in each one of our lives. He guides through meditation and prayer, times when, when we are meditating, and I just want to emphasize that, that a feature of prayer that we may misunderstand is that of the times when, when the words don't come and the pauses that are in between as we are praying to God and we, we stop and we pause and we think and we meditate. And it's at times like that the Holy Spirit can guide as well. Maybe this even links together with His teaching ministry. But don't in your prayer life, don't do all the talking. Allow God to speak during those silent times and that can be a wonderful time of guidance as well. Bringing an awareness of a need and having thoughts that come to our lives and minds as to how to meet that need. So again we are blessed by having the Holy Spirit as our teacher and our guide. Indeed he is all-knowing, he is omnipotent, we can depend upon him entirely. What a tremendous blessing that we have in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we just trust that every one of us can have that, that greater awareness of the glorious ministry and that our lives can just truly reflect the, ver the reality of being indwelt by that Spirit.